Welcome back to Rabbit Hole Happy Hour. Here we are, episode two. Guess what we did? (laughs) We did something really fucking stupid, and now we're having to pay for it. (laughs) My dumbass did not set the microphone to what it should be, and instead it recorded on the computer, and it sounded like a (laughs) doo-doo. It sounded like a doo-doo. So now we're going to have to do... The whole thing again. And it's past my bedtime. It's past my bedtime, too, because I got up at 4 a.m. Oh, no. I'm fine, though. I got liquid energy. We got liquid curve. It's called liquor. (laughs) (laughs) So the drink of the night is a spicy margarita uh, made by my husband, Tudor. My husband, um, I, however, have switched to Chardonnay because the citrus in the drink was just, it was not palatable at this hour. <laughs> okay, guys. Um, we'd like to thank everyone who listened to our first episode and thank you to everyone who reached out to me and gave me feedback and nice comments and the reviews you left on Apple Podcasts was awesome. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much, guys. Did you thank the people for the name? Oh, yes. And thank you for helping us decide on our name. I wasn't trying to tell you to. I just literally (laughs) checked out for a second. (laughs) bitch. (laughs) Sorry. Yes, thank you to everyone who voted. Um, We had some name options, and you guys helped us choose this one. So we really appreciate it. Preach. So I'll start my story. Heads up. Content warning. The topic I'm sharing today will be talking about disordered eating and weight loss culture. This could be triggering to you, so if so, please skip ahead. All right, tonight I'm going to be talking about Gwen Shamblin. She's a weight loss guru who was popular in the 90s for her Christian weight loss program that became a religion. HBO actually released a docuseries about her called The Way Down, God, Greed, and the Cult of Gwen Shamblin. So this whole deal is very much still unfolding. So I'm guessing we'll have some updates in the future. And if you guys have already watched this series, stick with me here because I found some sources that suggest there is more to it. And I've also found some info I had not heard before in the documentary. So definitely went down some rabbit holes and there's for sure going to be more episodes released to that HBO series in the early part of the year next year. So Gwen Shamblin was born and raised in the South, not too far from us, in Memphis, Tennessee. Really deep in that Bible belt. (laughs) She has a Southern accent that most would call insane, but unfortunately for us, it's pretty commonplace. It is. And not that I know what her accent sounds like. Because she she hasn't heard the story before, so. I've never heard the story before. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I apologize in advance because I am 100% going to be using this accent throughout the story. Hell yeah, baby! You better believe it. God loves the South. God loves the South and God loves that the South will rise again. (laughs) Oh no. Just kidding. Oh my God, I shouldn't have said that. (laughs) Problematic. Okay. It was a joke. We have to get this out of the way. I have a picture up. Or a few few pictures up of Gwen. And she has a very bizarre appearance of her own making. That's an understatement. (laughs) 
we'll share photos on our Instagram page at rabbit hole happy hour. Mallory, do you want to describe what we're seeing here? I'd love to. So I am looking at a, well, okay. So judging from her neck, (laughs) she's probably about 60 plus. (laughs) Um, She's... She's a white woman, and first of all, her makeup is whack. It's like bright red, well, not all of them are bright red lipstick, but it's just insane lipstick every time. Black fucking smears all around her eyes like she just woke up from a hard night or like a huge partying night out. What, what am she I was saying? Down at the, she was down at the hoedown doing a she little doing line dance. dance. Doing a line dance there. And her hair is 50 feet off of her head. It's huge. And it's just tall. <laughs> <laughs> it's a sight to behold. <laughs> it's large and in charge is what I would say. And... I don't want to talk about Gwen's appearance like I'm being a mean girl or anything like that. It's the fact that so many people followed her in her church and she looks like this. That'd be Mm, like following, like if someone had a big shit stain on their pants (laughs) and you asked what restaurant they recommended and they said Red Lobster and you're like, yes, oh my God. And you trusted that. I would never trust someone they're just with... walking around with caked up shit on their <laughs> fucking diaper, which is their pants. <laughs> so that's all I'm saying. Like, it's not normal. There's something not. Yeah. It's unsettling. You look at this woman and you don't, you don't immediately say, I'd love to follow her. Like, what is she doing? You don't trust but you know what? The more I watched her videos, the less I noticed her appearance. It was so weird. Oh. Yeah. That is weird. It is. And the more she talked, the more I was kind of like getting triggered by things like, oh, was, oh I don't know. You were getting indoctrinated. I know. She was very convincing. Moving on. So Gwen grew up in an extremely religious household and attended the Church of Christ. I'm not too familiar with that denomination, but I've read... There's like many different variations of it, but her church in particular was intense. Women were not allowed to preach and it was very by the book. They couldn't have musical instruments because that like took away from the message of God, I assume. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, When I was growing up, I, some people that went to my school actually went to those churches and they couldn't have instruments or anything like that. They couldn't even have own instruments? Well, I don't know if they couldn't have them, but they couldn't play them at church. Bummer. It's a huge bummer. (laughs) (laughs) So Gwen received her undergrad in dietetics from the University of Tennessee in Knoxville. And she went on to get her master's in food and nutrition from Memphis State University. Around this time, she marries David Shamblin and has two kids, Michael and Elizabeth. Gwen works as a registered dietitian and even taught a nutrition class at her alma mater. So by all accounts, she's pretty educated, which back then she did appear to be a normal functioning human being. In 1986, Gwen combined her dietitian know-how and her fire for the Lord. Fire for the Lord! (laughs) She created a Christian weight loss program she not so cleverly named the Way Down Workshop. That's way spelt like weight. 
Despite its dumb name, the program was wildly popular. (laughs) Gwen said she created the program to teach others how to stop bowing down to the refrigerator and bow down to him. Oh my god. Her workshop doesn't require diet or exercise, just your complete and utter obedience to God. So you obey God and the pounds go away? Well, in other words... (laughs) transform your love and enjoyment of food into a love of god instead aka be anorexic gwen says that being overweight has nothing to do with genetics metabolism what you eat or exercise it's a matter of the heart and if you are in alignment with god you will not be overweight and the pounds will fall off how does this work only eat when you're hungry and stop when you're full this isn't a new concept intuitive eating is built into our dna But Gwen rejects eating for pleasure and claims doing so is a sin. Whenever people started to gain weight back, she claimed they were not being obedient to God. You should only eat when your stomach growls and only eat enough to satisfy those hunger cues. Some experts expressed concern that the program eliminated exercise and wasn't focused on health. The program quite literally was about losing weight and becoming a thin eater. I have a story about Gwen and how she came up with this term, thin eater. So she struggled with her weight in college. And she tried all the diets in the book, she says, um, and nothing worked. So she called up her skinniest friend and she invited her to go to the nearest burger shop, which is what Burger shop. And they both grabbed a burger, shake, fries. And Gwen devoured her entire meal. And she was still hungry. She was looking around at everyone else's food and salivating. (laughs) (laughs) I need this food. She looked across the table at her friend, and she had only eaten half of her burger. And she was getting ready to throw out the rest. And Gwen stopped her and was like, what are you thinking right now? Like, how do you not eat that entire burger? So she came to this conclusion that... In order to lose weight, you simply needed to eat less. And maybe that energy that you put towards food, you can put towards God. Did Gwen used to weigh like 300 pounds or something? No, she didn't. Not at all. She only weighed like, she only gained like 15 pounds. She was probably like a normal size. I think she has some very latent issues with food. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. She just has a very unhealthy view obviously right she believed this idea that she had was a divine revelation from god it plays to what every american is obsessed with their weight and the evangelicals were all over it way down workshop consisted of 12 week seminars guided by video and audio tapes featuring gwen during the workshops people would come on stage holding their pants that used to fit them that are now like the size of a tent (laughs) and they would thank gwen for how much weight they'd lost Thank you, Gwen. They'd get up on stage and be like, God took 100 pounds off me. Thank you, Gwen, for getting me right with the Lord. But they, in reality, all they were doing was not eating as much. Correct. She said every time you wanted to go to the refrigerator, pick up your Bible. Well, one thing I can say for Gwen is that at least it worked. <laughs> <laughs> I know, that's the thing, you know. Like, as she was explaining this stuff... It was starting to trigger me a little bit. Like, yeah, it is very convincing in a totally unhealthy way to uh, think about life in general. Because with intuitive eating, you are simply, there's no bad foods. 
-hmm. There's just food and you're just like, you're just not overdoing it. But this is more of like very restrictive. Okay. You have to wait until you are fucking starving. Like your stomach is growling. Right. And then you only eat enough to where your stomach isn't growling anymore. Yeah. So that is just like completely over the edge. So these people would get up on stage and thank Gwen for how much weight they'd lost. And she'd make everyone feel so loved and like they belonged. Basically, she was love bombing them. Uh, Everyone ate it up. No pun intended there, but... uh, (laughs) Sorry. The whole deal took off. Many churches taught the program all over the world. In 1997, Shamblin published The Way Down Diet, and the book sold more than 1.2 million copies. 1.2 million. Yep, all over the world. Cool. She appeared on 2020, The Tyra Show, and Larry King. When Gwen was explaining to Larry King how genetics don't play a role in weight loss, she cited the Holocaust as proof, saying, How in the Holocaust did you have all these people getting down real skinny? They ate less food. Oh my god. This, okay, she's basically saying, take these people, for example. They just ate less food. You can do that too. They just ate less food and became completely emaciated. And she said it with such, like, like it meant nothing. Yeah. She's made this comment several times. In another interview, she started to make the same comment. Her PR person who was on set with her literally lifted her off the seat and removed her from the interview because... Oh, my God. <laughs> it was just, like, not a good look, obviously. Yeah. Like, literally the most ignorant thing I've ever heard, probably. Actually, I think there's probably more ignorant things that you're about to hear. Okay. (laughs) Well, I'm buckled in. Good. She believed that the way down message was the answer to all the world's evils. She had the truth. Christian perfectionism could only be reached by following her message. That's when in 1999, she started the Remnant Fellowship Church. Very cool scene I'm seeing now on the screen. It's a bunch of people... On stage with their arms up, guy with a guitar, guy with a microphone, maybe a girl, I can't tell. And everyone in the audience has their hands up like they're praising the Lord. This is a scene that everyone here in the South is familiar with if you ever have been to a church. My God. Uh, No offense. This scene triggers me. (laughs) Me too. No offense. No offense. I don't judge anyone for their religion at all, but Mm-mm. this does trigger me. There, uh-huh. I think we both Same. have some history there. But yep. moving on, <laughs> we'll get to that another day, another perhaps. Time, another day. So when you reach success, like Gwen did, selling her Christian weight loss ideology, what better way to make more of a profit than to turn it into a church? Oh God, Gwen. She amassed over fifteen hundred remnant followers with around 150 congregations around the world. 15, well, I guess her book sold like a shitload, so that's actually Yeah, I mean, it's the very beginning. In 2000, Gwen sent out an email to over 40,000 people on her Way Down newsletter saying something that would cost her a lot of money, her book publisher, and thousands of churches that were backing her workshop. I bet you're thinking uh, she made another Holocaust comment. Well, that would be in character. Nope. Gwen denounced the Trinity. Oh, (laughs) the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. She basically just said the three are not equal and God is above all. Which semantics, I don't know. Like, 
I'm not bothered by it, but I'm not religious. I am personally right. more offended by the Holocaust comment. Yeah, that. same here. That did not do it. But her that's in. that's a big old no no in like yes Protestant Christian faith. Like it is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost is the Trinity. Is, right, is it. <laughs> and they they are all one. They're completely equal. They're mm-hmm. like fluid. She thought God was the leader, the head, and then that Jesus was a separate entity from God and that the Holy Spirit is what lives within us and it's all separate things. Mm -hmm. And this caused the biggest shit show. She took a financial blow from this comment, but maybe this belief was her edge that could separate her from other churches. Churches she claimed were counterfeit, which is a term she likes to use for any other church but her own. Okay. She only wanted a congregation that would fully accept her message in view of Remnant as God's one true church. And she says that all the time. One true church. This is God's one true church. Red flag. Amen. She could afford the blow because now she was hiding behind a tax code and could use Way Down as a recruitment tool to the church. Fuck off. (laughs) Fuck off. Such greed. Members were required to attend the Way Down classes. They even had classes for children as young as eight years old. Oh my god. Can you imagine telling a child, you're fat, need to lose weight, otherwise you're going to hell? No, I cannot. I'm sorry, but no. I can't. Anyway. That's fucked up. I can imagine people telling an eight-year-old they're fat, but not that they're going to hell. Yep. And that they're only worthy if they lose weight. Not that I condone that, I'm just saying. (laughs) I don't think any child, unless there's obviously something very wrong, should ever be made to feel overweight like you're growing your body's changing yes also i've read that there's studies if a kid is exposed to a lot of diet culture at a young age they are more likely to develop an eating disorder later in life oh my god but these classes were not free you had to pay for the classes the books the workbooks and gwen recovered and in 2004 she purchased 60 acres in brentwood which is a wealthy suburb of nashville and she built her church. Remnants Fellowship's number one pillar was complete obedience. They preached obedience. Obedience to God and obedience to Gwen because she was a direct connection to God. There were several interviews where people asked, Gwen, are you a prophet? And she would say, well, I don't know what my gift is called, but I have been known to be called that. So she literally believed that she was a prophet from God. And an example of this, in 2001, at her way down workshop, she had some employees and they were in the break room and they were watching the TV. It was September 11th. Twin towers were falling. She comes in and she's just like, I called it. I knew it. I knew this was going to happen. I said that the world was evil. I I just knew this was coming. Shut the fuck up, Gwen. No, you didn't. They took that as meaning like, oh, she's a prophet. She she predicted that this was going to happen. She never said anything particular was going to happen. Just that, you know, the world was in shambles. Yeah. But I feel like that's (laughs) preached on a daily basis. Yeah. So not being obedient at Remnant Fellowship carries discipline in the form of manipulation, guilt, shunning, and even threats of retaliation. Some spouses cannot leave the church for fear of losing their children and their family. Oh my God. 
Remnant Fellowship has been known to back the spouse who remains in the church by paying their legal fees and ensuring full custody. And children are not spared from the discipline. Remnant Fellowship teaches parents to use corporal punishment and demand complete obedience. Quoting Gwen, If they're not scared of a spanking, then you haven't spanked them. If you haven't really spanked them yet, you don't love them. Oh my god. Spanking, bye-bye. That's done. Guys, can we move on from spanking? We don't need to hit children. No, we don't need to hit children at all, ever. Please. That's actually still an argument today. People claim. I know. I mean, did your parents spank you? Yeah. I think it was a different time. But yeah. I mean, yeah. (laughs) What about you? What about you? Yeah, but whenever... <laughs> I was a little shithead, though. <laughs> My mom, whenever she was the one that had to do the spanking, she would... I knew that she felt, like, really bad, and she would only do, like, a... Like a little, little pop. It wasn't even a pop. It was just, like, a touch. I remember I was a little shit, and my mom would you know be chasing me to give me my spanking and I would like run and jump on the bed and she would spank me and I'd just like start laughing like that didn't hurt (laughs) (laughs) yeah I would do that too such a little brat (laughs) probably deserved it no children deserves it sorry so even you (laughs) the weapon of choice used at remnant were hot glue gun sticks they were said to be as painful as a switch but wouldn't leave marks what the fuck so I'm showing Mallory a picture of a family who attended Remnant. It's the Smith family. And in this photo, Sonia Smith, the mom, is holding a glue stick in her hand, just ready to pop some someone upside that the head. That shit looks nasty, too. It looks like she's been using it for a while. Yeah. Because usually they're, like, clear, and this thing is, like, gray. And it's bent. Yeah. Well, apparently she had been using it a lot because in 2003, Remnant Fellowship and Gwen Shamblin would come under fire after two of their members, Joseph and Sonia Smith, were arrested for the beating death of their eight-year-old son, Joseph. No. The couple lived in the Atlanta area with their three kids, and they often sought discipline advice from the remnant leadership via conference calls. A former remnant member released a copy of a recorded church conference call from February 2003. In it, Sonia Smith informed Shamblin that she had locked her unruly son in his room from Friday to Monday. And afterward, he had began to behave respectfully. So I heard this call. Um, Oh, you did? Yes. And basically, Sonia's like, I did what Ted Anger said. Ted Anger is a leader in the church, also known for beating other people's kids in the church. Oh, so Ted Anger lives up to his name. Yes, exactly. He actually tried to tell people it was pronounced Onge. Oh, sure. Okay, guys. Sure, Ted Anger. Well, isn't it Ted Danger? He has two Ds in his name. Ted Danger. Ted Danger. (laughs) Ted Danger. Okay, so in the call, Sonia is talking to Gwen, and she's like, I did what Ted Anger said. I locked him in his room, took everything out, only left him in there with his Bible. And I left him there from Friday to Monday. And Gwen responded, that's a miracle. You've got a child going from bizarre to in control. So I praise God. (laughs) Praise God. Praise God. So Gwen knew about this punishment, which is insane. Locking your kid away 
Oh my. That long. Seriously. No food. Like no, really? No like food. No food. All nothing. they gave him was a bucket. I'll tell you. I'll oh tell you. my God. Investigators in Atlanta have obtained more than one tape from the church. And um, on the second tape, Shamblin praises a remnant leader for repeatedly spanking his strong-willed two-year-old daughter. It was a one-night showdown, and that child never forgot it, Shamblin said. I can't even imagine hitting a two-year-old child. A two-year-old. They don't know what you're doing. All they know is that they're in pain. I can't fathom it. No. Adrian has made me mad, my son, knocking over plants, doing things like that. But I have never hit him. I can't even imagine. Mm -mm. I even feel bad if I'm like, how? Yeah. (laughs) Sonia and Joseph routinely discipline their eight-year-old son, Joseph, by beating him with glue sticks, belts, and heated coat hangers. They locked him in confined spaces for extended periods of time tying his hands with rope. Oh, poor baby. Mrs. Smith told police that she normally gave the children their whippings in increments of 10 blows each and that Joseph had gotten several of those whippings the day of his death. Oh, my God. The police reported that the Smiths locked Joseph in his room to pray to a picture of Jesus on the ceiling and in a closet for days and even weeks. Why was a picture of Jesus on the ceiling? Mm, Can't tell you. He was given only a bucket for a toilet. An older son sometimes held Joseph down while the parents beat him with implements. So it's all in the family. Just, just know, re- let's, all, let's all participate. Yeah, let's, let's all participate. It's great. fucking wrong. During the day on October 8th, 2003, Joseph disciplined Joseph with several beatings, striking him repeatedly with a foot-long glue stick. County medical examiners concluded that eight-year-old Joseph Smith died as a result of acute and chronic abuse. Members of the remnant church, led by Shamblin, paid for the bail and the defense of the Smiths. I can't even fucking believe that. I wonder if they did this kind of thing to their other kids, though. Well, I... it's, It's no excuse, but they said that Joseph in particular was very unruly and claimed that he was the devil, like... I don't even know where he would get that from. That sounds like something a parent would make up who just killed their child. Yes. I think maybe he was just a little harder to deal with. So they just didn't take any of it. And the other kids were probably just scared. Yeah. Something like that. that. My God, poor kid. So the Remnant Fellowship fully supported the Smiths, paying for their bail, paying for their legal defense. They even made a website called The Smiths Are Innocent. And they claimed that the death was caused by an infection from an eczema breakout. Excuse me, but the photo that I'm looking at right now does not look like an eczema breakout. It looks like the child has been whipped with something. Well, they do admit to doing that. They do admit to hitting him, but they they say that he had died from that. But he has head injuries, and I'll tell you why he has head injuries. The day of his death... His parents put him inside of a wicker basket, and every time he would pop his head out, they would slam it on his head, and that's actually where they found him, dead. Oh my God. They called 911, and he um, he was dead. And honestly, it breaks my heart. The medical examiner said that this was the worst case of child abuse they had ever seen. So the fact that Remnant Church is vouching for these people, paying for their legal defense... Yeah. It's disgusting. And And just in general, supporting their behavior. 
Well, yeah, they called them and told them all this abuse they were giving their kids, and they're like, praise God. Yeah. The Smiths were convicted in the Georgia versus Smith trial. After being convicted, the Smiths were then sentenced on March 27th, 2007 to life plus 30 years in prison, the wow. maximum punishment by Cobb County Superior Court Judge James Bodiford. I can't believe they got that much. I am so fucking glad they did. I'm still just like shocked at the fact that they're in this courtroom here, like just smiling. Just great day, everybody. Not the Smiths, but the, the remnant leaders. Um, members flocked to Brentwood to be closer to Gwen and the church. Gwen lived five minutes from the church in a sprawling mansion referred to as Ashlon. She offered up her home, hosting remnant weddings and events, which meant she could now write it off. Hmm. Great. That's excellent. Oh, I didn't mention her husband is an accountant, so he knows all these tricks of the trade. Oh, my God. At Remnant Fellowship, you have to only marry someone within the church and remnant hosts all the weddings and they have a very set dress code that you can choose from what like gwen has to approve everything the colors and gwen has to approve your bridal party and your groomsmen you can't have anyone she deems fat no fat people allowed oh okay yeah that's fucked up yeah (laughs) oh my god it was not uncommon for members to share households as they moved into town to join the church. The situation was looking more and more like a commune. Not only was your weight under scrutiny at Remnant Fellowship, but your relationships, your mental health, even the color of your house. HOA. Hello, HOA. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hate me in HOA. HOA sucks. Shout out to my HOA. <laughs> All decisions should be run by Gwen. Many members were forced to come off their antidepressants, which if you've ever suddenly come off your antidepressants, that's not, that's not a good look. You get these brain zaps. You can, you can become insane, honestly. Leaders claimed if you were right with God, you shouldn't need them. One member featured in the docuseries from HBO Max came off her medication and wound up being hospitalized for suicidal ideation. Her doctor had to convince her husband that she needed the medication and it was not a sin. Oh my god. This was a big issue. Like, Can you imagine being that doctor? I'm sure they get it all the time. Yeah, they might. As more members joined, the remnant became more and more self-sufficient. Gwen founded Exodus Industries, which was a network made up of all kinds of tradespeople involved in the church. So basically this was like all the plumbers, mechanics, electricians, basically everyone in the church who had a trade would be clumped into this Exodus Industries and work under Gwen. Hmm. So the church was self-sufficient and people wouldn't have to go outside of the church and it made it harder for people to leave. If you were working within the church and left, not only would you lose your family and friends, you'd also lose your livelihood. Many of the kids at Remnant were also homeschooled, To many members who saw red flags, it was becoming impossible to leave. Michael Shamblin is Gwen's son and the music leader at Remnant. I have a picture of him pulled up here. Mm -hmm. He looks like he'd be the leader of the music program at a church. Yes, he does. (laughs) Exactly like a praise band leader. Speaking of music, the members were only allowed to listen to Michael's music. Only. (laughs) 
Yes. 100% only Michael's music. Only Michael's music. But he provided different genres. Don't don't worry. You could still get your rap music. You could still get your <laughs> piano. You could still get your guitar. He did it all. He's quite the ingenue. <laughs> oh my God. Over time, Michael became very troubled. He started rebelling against the church and he started cheating on his wife with other members. A woman who remained anonymous, she also appeared in the docuseries, they called her Sarah. She was desperate to leave. She had developed an eating disorder from the Way Down program that they enforced on everyone. Ugh, God. And she was like really sick. But every time she tried to leave, she received threats from Gwen. She threatened to put every penny she had into a legal team to ensure she would never see her child again. That's because her husband wanted to stay at the church, so she couldn't leave her husband. Otherwise, Gwen would threaten them with um, taking her kid away. Oh my God. How awful. Yeah, it's not uncommon in cults, apparently. That's true. In total desperation, Sarah used Michael Shamblin's weakness as her opportunity to escape. She caught him eyeing her at a gathering and befriended him. Eventually, they formed a secret relationship. Michael confided in Sarah telling her about the suffering he had endured because of his mom and that he was in a loveless marriage and that everything he did, all the performances, everything in his life were just duties to please his mom. He was so angry that he admitted he would sometimes shoot his gun at the church in the night. What? <laughs> I, I, when I think of, like when I imagine this, I imagine he lives like 20 feet from the church sitting on his front porch in a rocking chair drinking Jack Daniels from a bottle and he's just bam 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 <laughs> oh my god what the hell Ugh, oh my god so weird I think he also had a bit of an alcohol problem Ugh. when Sarah felt strong enough she left the church she texted Michael that if Gwen didn't drop the legal stuff that everything would come out everything that he told her she would expose him that's the level of desperation people had to get out. She literally befriended this man, slept with him, learned all of his secrets about his life, and she did that with the intention of leaving and that's, using that as blackmail. That's crazy, but, I mean, these people are going to do that to her, too. So. Yes, she did mention, like, she did feel bad for taking advantage of this guy's vulnerability, but she's... <laughs> vulnerability <laughs> but <laughs> she said that it pales in comparison to the amount of pain Gwen has caused yeah. everyone in that church yeah in 2018 Gwen got a divorce from her husband David after 40 years of marriage which led her to rewrite her doctrine that divorce was forbidden to suit her needs oh that's excellent thank you because Gwen. she constantly was preaching like Marriage is a holy sacrament. You must never get a divorce. You always must work it out and be right with the Lord. But she changed that wording. Like, immediately after she got divorced, the website changed. Like, she changed the rules to be, oh my God. like, if your spouse isn't following the church or if your spouse isn't believing in God or whatever, then it's appropriate to get a divorce. That's fucked. So this angered many women in the church 
who were told they were not allowed to divorce their husbands, even after instances of infidelity. So, I mean, if they cheated, just stay married. Yeah, like women would approach leadership and be like, you know, my husband's cheating on me again. Please, 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 can I just like move out? And they told them no. Like they were in full control of these women. I didn't ever hear about it being vice versa. It was always the women who were trying to get out of the marriages. Ah. I'm sure if the men wanted to get out, that'd be totally fine. Or they could just cheat as much as they wanted, but (laughs) I digress. (laughs) So David Shamblin, Gwen's ex-husband, gets all the cash in the divorce proceedings. And immediately after the divorce, Gwen meets washed-up actor and deadbeat country musician Joe Lara. Oh, nice. <laughs> Joe's only notable role was playing Tarzan in an 18, 1889 and <laughs> a Colonial Times version of Tarzan. And <laughs> an 18 Oh my god, I'm going to do it again. And in 1989 TV movie Tarzan in Manhattan. <laughs> Can I just say this picture there's a picture of him as Tarzan with a monkey in Manhattan. And then there's a picture of him and Gwen, and her hair is just extra tall today. <laughs> I think the taller the hair, the closer to the God. The closer to God. <laughs> That's true. He also appeared in a television series. It's a follow-up Tarzan television series. Only lasted a year. Oh, no, no surprise there. Throughout his younger years, Joe dated a woman off and on for decades named Natasha Pavlovich. Natasha is featured a lot in the docuseries and describes Joe as a freeloader who jumped from one successful woman to the next, basically leeching off their wealth. In 2010, Natasha and Joe welcomed their baby girl and moved to Nashville so Joe could start his country music career. Oh my god. (laughs) Obviously, Natasha was very successful and could support this dumbass. They agreed that if he still hadn't started his career by the time their daughter entered kindergarten, that they would move to Chicago where Natasha had family and they could both find work. When the time came, Joe refused to leave and ultimately filed a police report falsely claiming that Natasha had been sexually abusing their four-year-old daughter in order to retain custody and continue living in Nashville. What a fucked up thing to do. Oh, and I didn't even mention. So when they moved to Nashville, mm-hmm. Joe also brings with him his mother. Mm-hmm. And the mother lives in the guest home they have because, you know, she's very successful. It's a very beautiful house. Mm-hmm. So Joe's mom lives in the guest home and they are both freeloading off Natasha. When he makes this accusation, Natasha gets kicked out of her house and both Joe and his mom live in this home that Natasha paid for with her own money and Natasha is forced to leave and they have the they have the daughter my god I would be so pissed it's just disgusting like that a human being could do that to someone they supposedly loved yeah that would not fly I mm -mm. so now Natasha is in a custody battle trying to prove her innocence and get her daughter back it's around this time that Joe meets Gwen when he's working as a handyman and uh, she sets him up with her conniving and expensive legal firm called Bradley Law Firm. Shout out to Russ Morgan and Jason Watley, total douchebags who work at Bradley Law Firm. They paid off a psychiatrist more than $38,000 
to recommend Joe have full custody, but the judge threw it out because the doctor did not meet with the child. He only met with Joe and his attorneys. Oh my God. Hey, let's just bribe this guy. But and they didn't the... even try to hide it too. Oh my God. The audacity of the white male. The audacity. Sorry, white males. Mm-hmm. Only rich white males. Mm-hmm. So they were forced to find a court-approved psychologist to meet with Joe and Natasha's daughter. They found a contact that they thought they could pay off, but they were wrong. Psychologist Katie Spierko recommended Natasha should be the primary caregiver and that the sexual abuse allegations were lies. Natasha eventually receives full custody in 2021, but has been Mm. followed since by people from Remnant in their Exodus Industries vans. Oh my God, because they're apparently, their heroes are Scientology. They're trying to find any dirt on Natasha they can (sighs) to be able to get the daughter back because... They want as many people in that congregation because it's a money-making machine. Yeah, it's a company. It's yep. not a fucking tax-exempt. I mean, it is tax-exempt. It is tax-exempt, but they are a company. It's it's totally fucked. 57 days after Gwen's divorce, she and Joe Lara were married. A whole 57 days? She just like walked in. This handyman's just hammering, hammering. <laughs> and she's just like, oh, my heart. The Lord has spoken. My heart and my vagina. <laughs> my, 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 my lumps. <laughs> my, my lumps. lovely lady lumps. <laughs> Their proposal and wedding videos are on YouTube. <laughs> you should have said that after I said this. Their proposal and wedding videos are up on YouTube. So check it out. Um, They are a sight to behold. (laughs) Definitely worth a watch if you like to clinch your butt cheeks in secondhand embarrassment. I love doing that. And the first time I told this story, I showed Mallory the videos. And um, oh my God, they're insane. The proposal video. (laughs) So first, (laughs) first of all, it's totally staged. Gwen's hair higher than ever. Yeah. She's looking like higher. a bobblehead. And um, the music in the background. I didn't recognize it at first and then you told me what it was. Maybe you guys should just listen to it. I don't know. It's from Shrek. It's from Shrek. <laughs> <laughs> the romantic music is from Shrek. Yes. The movie. So many believe that this marriage was merely just another opportunistic move from Joe, obviously. A source claims that Gwen sought help from Nashville Church of Scientology to help her refine her cult revenue stream. hmm, How about that? You know, she's losing all this revenue. She needs to, you know, she needs that cash flow. She needs that hairspray. So, oh my, can you imagine how much hairspray she goes through? Well, you know, she gets her hair done and makeup done for free. Oh, by what employees? By, by or someone in the church the who's just donating their services. Fire them, uh, honey. Yeah. So she paid Pastor Brian Fessler to attend Remnant and give her the Scientology secrets to wealth. Fessler attended many times, but no trade secrets were divulged. So when that didn't work, when she couldn't, you know, figure out how to make some money from other cult leaders, she decided that she wanted to hire Authentic Entertainment, which is a reality TV production company. She wanted to try and make a reality show and pitch it to Hollywood, but nobody was interested. 
<laughs> so Gwen and Joe made a homemade reality series they featured on their YouTube channel called Life with Gwen and Joe. I am going to watch that. <laughs> it is the best because it's truly terrible. Oh my God. And it didn't get much views at all. <laughs> well, I'm going to add a view or two. Dude, my, my browser history. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm going to be served up an unhealthy amount of fundy garbage for a while. I am so pissed about that shit. Like, if I want to go down a rabbit hole about some fucking QAnon people, then I'm going to get, like, targeted mm-hmm. ads for mm-hmm. <laughs> guns or some shit. I'm already, know. like, seeing Duggars, Duggars, Duggars. I'm like, I don't want to I don't want to oh watch videos about the Duggars. I don't want to watch videos about the Duggars. But, bitch. Right, anyway. <laughs> price you gotta pay so Gwen didn't typically bring politics into the church but Joe was very political and had very radical fringe beliefs oh boy it started to rub off on Gwen and they were obsessed with the 2020 election they fully bought into all of the QAnon conspiracies speaking of QAnon (laughs) (laughs) oh my god yes They lost their damn minds when Trump lost the election. Like, it totally destroyed them. And um, so their political messages started infiltrating into the church, and it was not not palatable. On May 29th, 2021, so about six months ago, Gwen and Joe, along with five other church leaders, boarded Gwen's private jet at Smyrna Airport outside of Nashville. They were heading to a MAGA event in Palm Beach, Florida. Oh, my God. (laughs) so basically the event was centered around how the election was rigged and this is six months ago we're in the pandemic yeah going to a MAGA event where there's no masked people or vaccinated people for that matter they didn't give a shit they didn't recognize the pandemic at all (laughs) oh nice I mean I'm sure you could have guessed yeah (laughs) Joe Lara who claims he's been flying since he was 16, piloted the plane. Shortly after takeoff, the plane crashed nearly vertical into Percy Priest Lake, not far from the airport. Oh my god. Everyone on board was killed. Fuck! So, Joe and Gwen. Gwen's daughter's husband was on board. His name was Brandon Hannah. And then church leaders Jonathan and Jessica Walters and david and jennifer martin oh my god not how i was expecting this to end because i've never heard the story before (laughs) honestly like it's tragic but at the same time what the fuck i don't know it's mixed feelings for me here a lot of these people had well all of them had children so Uh, very yeah that's sad so i found a youtube channel called Probable Cause with Dan Greider. And his channel is centered around determining the cause of fatal airplane crashes. Very niche. But he was a pretty laid-back, chilled, middle-aged man. Pretty interesting uh, videos. But he really went deep with this accident. He went down a rabbit hole himself. And as a pilot who teaches other pilots, he noticed right away that through the radio transmissions, Joe was a total amateur pilot. He was not using the proper lingo and his, um, he was just like doing everything. It was amateur hour, pretty much. Oh my God. He discovered that he wasn't even legally allowed to pilot that plane. 
due to an expired second class medical license. How fucking stupid. Yeah. To pilot these planes, you need to be checked by a doctor to make sure that you're able to fly the plane. And his was totally, totally expired. It was completely expired. Also, he was known to indulge in marijuana and you cannot do any of that if you're piloting a plane like you just can't you also can't be on any type of sleeping medication because he was in some court thing and he's like well i use it to sleep and i have insomnia and if you have insomnia you're not even allowed to pilot a plane you're not allowed you can't damn well as far as these kind of planes anyway yeah he only had 272 hours flying time which is not a lot. And if you have that much flying time, typically you would want to have a co-pilot. He also paid cash under the table for jet credentials. Dan Greider learns of the cult through this whole crash. And he's determined to learn more about what's going on. Like, he's like us. He's our people. Yeah, this dude is dope. <laughs> um, his video, so he goes to their memorial seven days after the crash. He finds that no family attended and um, not many remains were discovered at the crash site. He did put a picture in his video. It was like a Ziploc bag and it looked almost like chicken, raw chicken. So he was like, not much was recovered. No one was at the memorial and he was on a mission to find their grave sites. He manages to do that. I have no idea how. And he shows it in his YouTube video. Were they like, well, not unmarked, but... They had their names, like they're these um, crosses with wreaths on them with ribbons, and then they have roped off areas where That's weird. like a body would go, but there were no Seems bodies, weird. really, just remains, and the names were like on paper. Oh, okay. I it don't know. It looks like toilet paper. Yeah, it does. I don't know. It's very, the whole it's thing is odd. very sketchy. Yeah. Dan's video is also where I learned about Gwen contacting the Nashville Scientology leader, Brian Fessler, as well as hiring the production company. I hadn't heard that anywhere else. Dan posted many videos with his findings when suddenly they all vanished off his channel. Someone within the church had hacked his account and deleted all videos that made mention of Remnant Fellowship. Um, oh (laughs) my God. (laughs) Yeah. Why? Why? Because they're like Scientology and they... But what was he exposing? Something, something's going on. Yeah, true. Something. I don't know. As soon... Yeah, right? It's intriguing. (laughs) As soon as the leaders of the church perished, members started jumping ship and started contacting Dan to share their stories. So in his video, he mentions that he was flown out to California to do some filming with HBO. Probably, I mean, he didn't really mention what he did, but I'm assuming because of his flight experience and his detective work and maybe his connections to some of the members. But those episodes should be released in the beginning of 2022. And I am, I just want to know, I just want to know oh what, God. what's going on here. Cause he, I cannot wait to watch this HBO series. Yeah. It's, it's not my, I don't, it's not my favorite docu-series I've ever watched. Like, I feel like it spurred me to dive deeper and that was like where I really took hold with the case. But I mean, it's good. They, they go off on some different tangents that I didn't even include in here. So you will definitely learn some other things from it. But mm. another interesting piece of information I found was from a YouTube channel called without a crystal ball. 
Her channel has a focus on coverage of Christian fundamentalism, and she almost has 200,000 subscribers. She had some videos from a while back criticizing Remnant and went on to document updates on the plane crash. Since then, she put out a video where she claims a former member who is related to Gwen reached out to tell her some details about the church and events leading up to the crash. Ooh. So this is all allegedly. Yeah. This is all allegedly. Because right. who knows? Who knows? This past year, Gwen and Joe have really adopted a lot of the QAnon conspiracies, and it started to spill into their sermons. It started to cause a riff within the congregation, and this source claims that in early to mid-May, Gwen had a secret meeting where cameras and phones were not allowed. Gwen gets on stage and proceeds to tell the audience that racism is not real, and anyone who oh. believes someone is looking down on them for any reason is just having a pity party and playing the victim. Oh my god. After that comment, chaos ensued. Why now? I mean, it, it is yeah. a crazy thing to say, but like all of a sudden now they care that someone's telling them like, yeah, now they, <laughs> they care. You're right. You're it's right. weird, but I was honestly shocked that they had a problem with this. So people shouted from the audience. Some walked out and she went on to tell people that they could only listen to certain news sources and can only trust a few people like Candace Owens, who I had no idea who she was, but I looked her up. She's like a conservative author, talk show host. QAnons are obsessed with her. Really? Why? Do you know? I I think she kind of like follows that mm. type of thing. I mean, anybody conservative, I guess QAnon people are going to be attracted to, but... Yeah. <laughs> but she, to be honest, she is... I will say African-American. I don't know if she's African-American, but she was one of the only African-Americans to kind of be on that side. Oh, yeah. And they love to, to highlight that. Mm-hmm. So she started talking about an event where Michael Flynn and Roger Stone would be promoting their agenda that the election was rigged. She went on to say that everyone needs to become constitutionalists and get ready to fight the government. <laughs> oh my god. Look, were these people at the, <laughs> the... What was it? January 6th insurrection at the Capitol? <laughs> oh my god. We have to look for some big hair. I mean, they would have found her. <laughs> yeah. They would have totally found her. Yeah. That was before this, though. Well, oh. They probably supported it, though. Yeah. She told the congregation to speak out against LGBT, claims of racism, etc. Jesus. Just basically a whole bunch of crazy bullshit. And it really turned off the audience, which kind of shocked me because all of a sudden they're not cool with someone telling them how to think and how to conduct their politics. Mm -hmm. But things began to crumble after that. So that's pretty much the story. I'm, I'm really interested to see what comes out in the next couple episodes of The Way Down. They filmed that whole series before the crash, before the accident happened. That's crazy. So they had to take their finished project and weave yeah. in the story of the crash. And no one they interviewed was aware that was going to happen, obviously. So since then, now that the leaders have died tragically... Many members have come forward because they aren't afraid to be silent anymore. So I feel like we're probably going to get a lot more information pretty soon on that. Yeah, and hopefully more people will come forward. 
I know. I really hope so. And and hopefully the church just crumbles and people can move on and live some happy lives. Because mm-hmm. the congregation, they were not bad people at all. They were just, I mean, it's very easy to get wrapped up in a message that feels right. But yeah, there was a lot of problematic stuff. Like something that I really just don't understand about a lot of faith-based ideology is the whole concept of it was God's will. Like, mm-hmm. for example, Gwen's daughter, Elizabeth, immediately after the crash, she sent a text to the congregation. This happened. It was God's will. We're moving on. And like, she's always been like the whole leadership has always been like very like move on, not ever showing any emotion at all. Elizabeth actually lost one of her children as an infant. Mm-hmm. And she was on stage the next morning giving a sermon and, and no one ever spoke of it. Like, I don't understand. What the fuck? And they're always just like, you know, it was God's will. This was just meant to be. Yeah. And I cannot get behind that at all. And I, I, I've i personally dealt with this with religion. Same. And Same. It, and it's just... Oh my God. To an unreal degree. And it's Same. isolating. And that whole... The whole church, this whole idea is completely... It feels like completely isolating. Yeah. When you say that somebody's death is God's will... And it's not, you know, either a natural death or even old age or something like that. It's that doesn't jive with me. Sorry. So that is the story of Gwen Shamblin Lara, if you want to include her new name. So definitely check out The Way Down. I'm going to shout out a few sources really fast. News Channel 5 is a local news station in Nashville that provided tons of content on Gwen her way down program and remnant fellowship throughout the entire life of all of it. Tons of resources there, lots of video content as well. Spiritwatch.org. I read a lot about like different testimonies from members and how members who have left the church and their their experiences. It's hosted by Reverend Rafael Martinez. He actually appears in the documentary. He's a cult interventionist. So there's a lot of good information on there and a lot of stuff about cults and how religious cults work and what they do to abuse their congregations and then probable cause with dan Grider youtube channel he had an excellent video about the whole situation on there without a crystal ball was the youtube channel that provided that anonymous source and then all of gwen's bullshit on youtube she has so many videos like (laughs) Remnant Fellowship Church has a YouTube channel. Way Down has a YouTube channel. Gwen has a YouTube channel. And then there's the reality series, Gwen and Joe. Oh my God. Um, so, I, I yeah. love a well-documented cult. It's the best. So please check those out for sure. That was wild. That <laughs> Did was you enjoy it wild. the I second lo- time around? <laughs> I Actually, I have never heard the story before. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot. I, I, I must have dreamt that. guys i have actually been dreaming about this cult because i have not looked at anything other than oh my god for like two have you really yes oh my god i have been dreaming about it have you dreamed that you had big hair no but i think i know what i'm gonna be for halloween next year yes (laughs) you should totally do it that'd be amazing so why don't we take a little break and then mallory can come tell us her story yes Bye bye for a second. Wishman wasn't such a bummer, man. 
It's a huge bummer. <laughs> hey, guys, I've heard this story before, and it is a bummer. Oh, we're we're recording right now. <laughs> it's a this is, guys. You know, I don't know if you listen to true crime. You know, there's there's kind of humorous stories, but then there's bummers. I don't mind the bummers. It's just not fun to talk about, but it's interesting to hear about. Yeah, and it. Did you just hear my yeah. throat? <laughs> Mallory just croaked. <laughs> and guess what that means? Oh, yeah. That was weak. Anyway. Okay. From being <laughs> an idiot to a huge bummer. So I'm going to read you a couple of diary entries here, okay? Okay. Oh, my God. I can't do this. Are you throwing up? <laughs> Growing up in your whole body? No. <laughs> Air coming up my throat. <laughs> okay, I'm going to read you a couple of diary entries. Can't wait. April 30th, 2017. I've been in Illinois for a week. The University of Illinois is very beautiful. Kind of like Sun Yat-sen University. I fell in love with it at first glance. However, I'm feeling a little anxious. It's the first time I've lived in an apartment alone, and it's the first time I've lived independently. I feel a little bit lonely, but I still want to try. Pursuing a PhD requires a lot of hard work. The rule is simple. Live a simple life. Be effective. May 4th, 2017. Champagne. Heavy rain. I eat my words. I broke my promise to myself. I missed a class yesterday. I'm very afraid of this loneliness. If I cannot do what I've planned every day, I won't be able to reach the final goal. These are the diary entries of Yingying Zhang, a 26-year-old woman from Nunping, Fujian province in China. Her father, mother, brother, and boyfriend still live in China. Yingying arrived in the United States in 2017 to conduct research on photosynthesis and crop productivity for one year at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. And that's, it's like two towns that are like right next to each other, Mm. Urbana and Champaign. Okay. She played in a band and had ambitions of becoming a professor in mainland China. In 2013, Yingying graduated from Sun Yat-sen University at the top of her class. And in 2016, she graduated from Peking University. Yingying was a visiting scholar in the Chinese Academy of Sciences before traveling to the U.S. And she was considering entering a doctoral program at the University of Illinois. So she's working towards her PhD. And she is so adorable. She's super cute. Yingying was living alone in her apartment like the diary entry had explained but she was planning on moving to another apartment so she could live with roommates and save money on rent Um, so on friday june 9th 2017 she had done some field work with her classmates and they were planning to pack up some damaged equipment to send out for repair and at about noon she told them that she had to go sign the new lease so she said hey i'll meet up with you again tonight they were planning to go to dinner Mm -hmm. 
Yi Ying started heading to the new apartment complex where she was supposed to sign the lease. While she was on her way, she actually had a text message conversation with the apartment manager. And it reads as follows. The apartment manager's name is Trez, by the way, and I'm sure I'm probably not saying that correctly, but it's spelled T-R-E-Z. Ying Ying says at 129, hi Trez, I'll be late for a while. Trez says, okay, what time can you make it? She says, maybe around 2.10. And Trez says, okay, I'll see you then. And that was at 1.35. At 2.38, Trez texts her again, says, hey, Ying Ying, just checking to see if you're on your way. And he never got a response. Mm. Um, she had to take a bus to get to the new apartment complex because she didn't have a car or anything. And security video from the bus that she boarded showed her getting on the bus and it also shows her getting off the bus so she was supposed to take another bus to the actual apartment complex so it was a transfer she ends up on the wrong side of the road so she's not on not like at a bus stop she's on the wrong side of the road for the bus to pick her up and so she misses it and they actually have video of her on that bus running after it oh my god at 2 p.m ying was caught on a campus security tape standing at a bus stop a few blocks away from where she missed the bus a black car pulls up she speaks with the driver for approximately one minute and enters the car. At 5 p.m., she did not show up to meet with her fellow grad students since they were planning to go to dinner. They called her multiple times, no answer. They went to her apartment, knocked heavily on the door, but nobody was there. Her fellow students that she was supposed to meet notified the police that she was not anywhere to be found and they started looking for her her dad her aunt and her boyfriend traveled to the u.s with expedited visas given the you know situation her dad had never left china before oh my god and he did not intend to leave the u.s until she was found could they speak english um, her boyfriend could speak English, but the rest of her family cannot. So I think that's why they took him with mm. as well. Besides, they were planning to get married as well. So, you know. Oh, my God. They look like such sweet people. She has a picture up here for me. Mm-hmm. Aww. They do. Her mom, though, she, her mom didn't come initially. She um, was too upset to come with them the first time. She had to wait. At least, a, I think it was like a couple of weeks or so. It may have been even longer than that, actually. But, I mean, there's a documentary called Finding Ying Ying that I watched. And she is always crying. She is not ever. I mean, not, not ever. But she's. you can tell how much it affects her. Oh, my gosh. I can't even imagine being in her shoes. Yeah, with your own child. You don't know where they are. I, I can't imagine. Oh my god. The FBI now get involved due to Ying Ying being an international and the investigation gets underway. The investigators, they weren't able to discern the uh, license plate number of the vehicle 
but they did find that it was a black four-door Saturn Astra. They determined that there were only 18, 18 four-door Saturn Astras registered to owners in the Champaign County area. I've never even heard of that car. Yeah, it's not common. (laughs) I don't think I've ever seen one. I probably haven't either. And that was just 18 four-door Saturn Astros, not even black four-door. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it was probably like... Not many. Single digits. I tried looking, but I could not find how many black ones there were. So after further review of the surveillance footage, they noticed a cracked front passenger hubcap. One of the owners of a black four-door Astra was 28-year-old Brent Christensen, a 27-year-old recent graduate school graduate from the University of Illinois and former PhD candidate. He decided to graduate with his master's instead, but the news loves to play it up that he's a PhD candidate. His car had the same cracked front hubcap. Hmm. Did you say 28 or 27 years old? You know what? I said both. (laughs) Which is it? I can't tell yet at this point. (laughs) I'm really not sure. Because if he was 27, I cannot believe I missed that. That's crazy. He'll join the 27 club. I don't know. I don't know why I did that and why I didn't notice it. That's crazy. Um, So he is a 27 or 28 year old. (laughs) (laughs) Who fucking cares? (laughs) Who fucking cares? So when they interviewed him the first time, he tells them that he can't recall where he was at the time that Union was last seen, which was around that 2 to 3 p.m. hour, Friday, June 9th. Well, I couldn't probably tell anyone where I was on any specific day. That's true. Yeah. Me neither. Except for the answer is probably at home. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So. Well, did they ask, like, specific questions about, like, a... The initial one... No, I think they just asked what he was doing at that time. So yeah, I would not know. They ended up, because the hubcap matched the one in the surveillance video, they actually got a search warrant for his car. Mm-hmm. And they noted that the passenger door of the car appeared to have been cleaned to a more diligent extent than the other vehicle doors. Well, that's not good. That's not good. Which they said may be indicative of an attempt or an effort to conceal or destroy evidence. Uh, yeah. No shit. So yes, the FBI interview Brent at the FBI's Champagne office. So this is the second interview. So he initially says he was sleeping or playing video games all day. After the detective tells him he knows it is his car, he says he must have his days confused. Because initially he said that he was in all day on Friday... And then on Saturday, he had been driving around campus. Mm -hmm. Friday was when Ying Ying went missing. Okay. So then they convinced him that, oh, we know it's your car. So he's like, oh, I must have my days confused. Then he admits to picking up an Asian woman. Well, it doesn't matter what day it is. If you picked up an Asian woman and they're asking you about an Asian woman, who cares what day? You would say, hey. Yeah. Wouldn't you fucking mention that? Yeah. If you were innocent? Well, yeah. Like, oh, I picked up an Asian woman, but, you know, what, you know, whatever. So, but he fails to mention that until now. And oh, my God. It's, this doesn't look good. N- nope. <laughs> so he says he picks up an Asian woman, but 
he said that she got spooked when he made a wrong turn. So he ended up dropping her off a few blocks away in a residential area. Meanwhile, they speak with Brent's wife, Michelle Zortman, who lives at the apartment with him. She consents to a search and seizure, and the FBI collects Brent's phone and gets a warrant for its contents. Just as a side note, Michelle and Brent had an open marriage. Michelle was actually out of town with her boyfriend the weekend Ying Ying went missing. So she had a solid alibi, and Brent is left on his own. He has a girlfriend, but he has mentioned to a therapist in the past that he didn't quite take his wife having a boyfriend very well. How does that even happen? Do you just... How do you have that conversation? Do you get get married and you're just like, so I have a crush on every boy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What is that from? Like three brain, I think. But how do you even... Oh my God. How do you approach that? Whose idea was it? Look, there's a guy at work. He works in a different department, but... So a girl that used to work at the company, she has an open marriage. And you know this, why? (laughs) Because through the grapevine, I have been told it. And I know that she has continuously been sleeping with this other guy at work. Oh my God. (laughs) Free entertainment. But it's fine because... She has an open marriage, and the other guy is not married anymore. And, but just how do you even get to that point? I'm not even interested. No, I'm just like, uh. <laughs> I just want to be left alone, quite honestly. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> I'd like to just be left alone. <laughs> Please. <laughs> oh my god. Anyways, uh. So, Brent also had a girlfriend in addition to his wife. So, that was just a little, (laughs) that was a a little bit of a tangent. But anyway, the FBI at this point begins continuously monitoring Brent. So, we were at about June 15th, and now two weeks go by. No sign of Ying Ying. So, it's June 29th. A walk and a concert are held outside the Center for Performing Arts at the University of Illinois campus, with a crowd of about 350 showing up to support and raise awareness for Ying Ying's case. The very next day, the FBI arrests Brent on a criminal complaint accusing him of kidnapping Ying Ying. So, police say on Brent's cell phone, agents find visits in April to the website FetLife. Do you know what I know FetLife that. Yes, is? I do. FetLife is a social media site for adults with alternative sexual interests. <laughs> this is a quote. I want to test my limits and experience everything he wrote in his profile on FetLife. He repeatedly read posts on that site about kidnapping and rape fantasies with titles like Abduction Play, Perfect Abduction Fantasy, and Abduction 101. So they had arrested him on the 30th, and we're going to rewind one day to the 29th. 
which was the day they had the vigil, the walk and the concert for Ying Ying. So sitting on a bench at the vigil for Ying Ying, Brent Christensen grabbed his girlfriend, Tara Bullis's phone, and pulled up the notepad function. One at a time, he typed four lines, deleting them after showing them to Tara. It was me. She was number 13. She is gone forever. Oh, uh, shit. So he was there. He was at the vigil, the march. Yep. And he decided to tell her mm-hmm. in the note app. Mm-hmm. So he could delete it. Was he showing off? What the fuck? I don't... Yes, but I will address that. Okay. So he, you know, typed those four lines out and deleted them thinking, you know, what? no one will ever know but her. What was she thinking, though, at the time? What the fuck? Well, guess what? She's a fucking badass because she wore a wire for the police, oh for the god. FBI, oh my god, to record a total of nine conversations with him. Full body chills. <sighs> she recorded while they were at the vigil the whole time. And the next part here is me just kind of like outlining their conversation because the whole transcript is available online. Which is a really interesting yeah, I read. read. It. I want to read it. <laughs> yeah, please link me that. I will. <laughs> Okay, so she said, this is her opening uh, statement here. She says, it's 646 on Thursday, June 29th. We're at the benefit for the walk, and Brent has a thing of alcohol, and he is drinking while he is here. So I'm thinking I'm just going to turn this on right now so that it's on while we walk. This is kind of ridiculous. And she's saying that. Like, maybe she's just like, oh my god, what the hell is happening? (laughs) Why would you drink? Uh, he has had issues with alcohol in the past so he's been in therapy for alcohol abuse okay yeah so probably that i don't know Mm, okay that makes sense though so they talk about the route they're gonna take which is from the building that she works at in the school yinging works at in the school to the place that she was taken Brent mentions that he recognizes some of the FBI or police officers that are at the vigil. He tells Tara that he thinks they're at the event because it is related to the case, which no shit. Probably looking for the murderer to show up at the scene of the crime. Right. Um, He recognizes 10 to 15 of them, with which five or six of them he has had direct contact He mentions a few sentences later that he has a strong feeling that they are following him, which, yeah, no kidding. He then derails the conversation by asking if Tara has ever seen Battle Royale, and then they talk about what alcohol drinks they like, um, which that portion of it is, like, way too long. (laughs) Oh, my God. So they end up about three blocks from the location that she was taken, And Brent decides that he doesn't want to walk anymore. So they decide they're going to wait on some steps until the concert starts at 730. And Brent says, 
It's so strange. It's so weird. All these people here tonight, they want our home safe. They have no idea what happened. Nobody knows what happened. And Tara says, nobody will know what happened. And he says, except for me and not even you. She says, nope, you're the only one who knows where she's at. Then he says, she was valiant. She asks, did she fight? He said, "Uh uh-huh, more than anyone else. Mm. He is getting off on this conversation. He absolutely is. It's disgusting. Absolutely. And she says, a little Chinese girl? He said, she fought more than anyone else I've ever met. And then Tara asks an awkward question. Did you have sexy time? Is how she phrases it. No. He said, yeah. But I didn't orgasm. She wasn't able to be subdued. So they keep walking. Brent says Yingying is the only person that has produced evidence that leads back to him. He says that she is number 13 and that he has been at this since he was 19 years old. What the fuck? No. Tara asks if he has kept track of his other victims. He says that there's not a trace of them, but he doesn't know their names. So Tara asks, was she your first Chinese girl? And then Brent says, no, she was supernatural. I don't know how to describe it. She just didn't die. Tara said she fought until she couldn't. He said she was beyond that. I choked her for must have been 10 minutes with my hands. I couldn't believe she was still alive, so I carried her into my bathtub. I got the bat, and I hit her in the head as hard as I could, and it broke her head open. No. 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 Tara says, when her head broke open, is that when she, and he interjects and says, at that point, I wasn't sure if she was dead or not. So I had a knife, and I stabbed her in the neck, and she grabbed for it. Oh my god. She says after her head was actually split open, she was able to grab. Oh my god. He said, I've seen videos. What? Some what pe- kind of what, <laughs> what kind of fucking videos, Mallory? I'll tell you. <laughs> Some people will grab for things like after you think they're dead. But it was unbelievable. Like she just So I chopped her head off. What the and I said, that was the end of it, right? Like, that was actually the end of it. Like, no, uh-uh. None of this fucking zombie shit. She was done. So, they keep talking. And Brent eventually states that the last person he would consider at his level was Ted Bundy. Oh my God, what a douchebag. He states that even though she was a resilient fighter, she still bored him. He says he cut her clothes off and started, quote, doing stuff to her. And he just didn't feel anything at all. He said he just felt like he didn't care. So he stopped doing stuff. Go skydiving. (laughs) Yeah, go skydiving. Go skydiving. Go bungee jumping. Do something that's not boring. Take a dance class. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my god. Learn to cook a quiche. (laughs) (laughs) I can't believe that he's admitting all of this. 
I think because he was drunk, it helped. So I, I mean, do you think anyone else knows? Like, do you think his wife's in on it or? I don't know if he told her because he does say in the transcript that Tara's the only one that he told. Not that oh he's like that chopped her reliable, but chopped her yes. head off because she wouldn't die, and that's so horrible. I can't even imagine. Her last moments were just horrifying. Fuck that shit. Ugh, poor Yingying. Um, so he states again that he is more successful than Jeffrey Dahmer and John Wayne Gacy. He boasts that he has the nation's attention and that he is the most successful person who has done what he has done in 30 years. He gets excited that he's encountered some people at the walk that thanked him for being there. And then he laughs at the irony. Go fuck yourself. Yeah. So then he goes on to reassure Tara that she and his wife are very safe with him. He says he trusts Tara, especially now that she is the only person that he has ever told about what he has done. He talks about how the FBI and police don't know where she is and that he is apparently, quote, very good at this. And he, the whole time he's refused to tell Tara where she is. Um, And he never does tell her where she is in these conversations. So Brent's wife, Michelle, eventually picks them up and takes Tara home. And (laughs) I had to throw this in here for fart's sake. But (laughs) (laughs) comedic relief. Yeah. On the way, there's like some shit that Brent peels off in the back of the car. I don't even know what you could even peel off of what to do this, but... Michelle freaks out because it starts to smell like a fart and she's going to have to smell it the next day and she gets really fucking pissed at him. Oh <laughs> um, I don't know what the hell it was. I don't know. Anyways, Tara is dropped off and the recording ends. On July 12th, 2017, a federal grand jury formally indicted Brent for kidnapping Yingying and then for two charges of making false statements to the FBI. I'm not sure, but I think that they couldn't quite charge him for murder because there's no body. Yeah. 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 Um, So Brent pleads not guilty at his hearing on July 20th. He demands a jury trial and intends to persist in his plea of not guilty. The trial is actually delayed uh, several times due to government shutdowns and the defense attorneys filing for more time to prepare. It ends up being delayed for two fucking years. Oh my god. Can you imagine? So his parents stayed in the U.S. this entire time? Two years? No, they went back. Yeah, so they ended up having to leave without her, unfortunately. Um, They went back, and then they came back for the trial. On June 24th, 2019, two years after Yingying was killed, the trial finally begins. The defense states in the opening statements that Brent killed Yingying, and he was on trial for his life because he could face the death penalty. Mind you, he was planning on keeping his uh, not guilty plea. And now the defense opens with, he did it. (laughs) Oh. Yeah. Oh my god. 
Yeah. How was he so out of the loop? This was two years later, so I guess they decided somewhere mm. down the line that he wasn't going to get away with it. <laughs> you ain't going to get away with it, son. Because guess what? They have you on recording, bitch. Yeah. So in the trial, a jury took a whole two hours, two hours to deliberate. And they found him guilty on all charges. Mm-hmm. So they had to do a separate deliberation because he was up for the death penalty. During the sentencing deliberations, the jury was actually split 10 to 2 for the death penalty. The majority was actually in favor of the death penalty, but as a result of the split, he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole on July 18, 2019. So following the trial, prosecutors revealed information about Ying Ying's remains that Brent divulged through his attorneys in November 2018 under an immunity agreement. The day after he killed her, Brent claimed that he put her dismembered body in three separate garbage bags, which he then disposed of in the dumpster outside of his apartment. Over the next two days, he'd claimed he disposed of her personal belongings in various dumpsters in the Champaign-Urbana area. The dumpster in which Brent placed Yingying's remains was emptied three days later, and the contents were taken to a private landfill. Oh, no. Compacted at least twice. Oh. Spread over an area 50 yards wide, and subsequently buried under 30 feet of garbage. Oh, poor Yingying. Needless to say, the recovery of Yingying's remains would be difficult, and a search for her remains has not begun to this date. Oh my god, that's so devastating for the family. Oh my god. Yes, it is. Because they're never going to get her back. They can't bury her. Mm-mm. What a piece of shit. Yeah. Shown in the documentary Finding Yingying, Tara Bullis, who is... The fucking badass with the FBI wire <laughs> meets with Yingying's family after the trial. Tara had studied Mandarin in high school and asked the documentary's filmmaker, Jenny Shi, for help so that she could read a short letter in Mandarin to Yingying's family. It reads Every time I was afraid, I thought about your love for Yingying. I would do everything I could for you. Although we are from different cultures, your love for Yingying is still visible to me. Yingying's mother said in response to Tara, You are the same as Yingying, very kind hearted. You are willing to help others. He hurt Yingying. If no one had acted, he would have hurt more people. So you are very brave indeed. Um, so are we all crying right now? <laughs> No, because I already cried when I saw the documentary. <laughs> I have to see that. Oh, my God. It's so good. Oh, my God. It's so good. I can't believe that she took the time to translate that message for them. And Oh, my God. I know. And I... Because you're kind of, like, worried about the reception, too, because she was with him. Yeah, she... You know? She, but she fucking broke the case open. Yeah. That, she did that. It was... If it wasn't for her, they would have never known. Right. She is a badass. Like, she... I and cannot... that is so scary. Like, I can't even imagine, like, 
walking into that and someone confessing that they chopped somebody's head off and, and like, playing it cool. Like, how do you play it cool after, like, when you hear and that? And still, like, talk as if you don't see a problem with that? Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, my God. It's crazy. Oh, my God. Yeah, she's a hero, <laughs> honestly. I was under the impression that this case was going to be unsolved because you mentioned that you were, like, following it on uh, oh, Web Sleuths. Yeah, so, like, when I heard about it, it was... In 2017, it was the first time I ever like went on Web Sleuths and I saw this thread and it, I mean, there were like multiple threads, like numerous threads about it because it was unfolding at the time. And this was before she, or no, before they, the FBI released any information about Brent. And so for like two weeks, everybody on Websus was just like trying to <laughs> fucking figure out. That's amazing. Anything they I could. Bet it was like just so suspenseful, like seeing the information come in. Yeah, it was because when there was finally a fucking arrest, I was like, oh my god, fine, like How what? The hell? Yeah, because they they kept it under wraps. They did this yeah, the FBI. The FBI doesn't disclose any information until there's an arrest made. Yeah. So, I mean, like it was crickets for two weeks or so. And then, or no, actually it was um, almost a month because he was arrested the day after the vigil. So yeah, almost a month. And then you have to wait two years for the trial oh my god i could not wait like i really just wanted to watch this trial so bad and they didn't even stream it yeah. or anything like that so i was disappointed oh my god but oh well well you mentioned that he was like obsessed with serial killers i'm glad that like mm-hmm. i for one have never heard of this trial or or this guy mm-hmm. i'm glad he's not been made famous yes. for his actions and he can't celebrate the fact that he is like a serial killer or something. Suck on that bitch. P.S. Did they ever discover what happened or if he actually did kill 12 other people or? There has been no evidence that he has ever killed 12 other people. None Did at he all. say anything? Or like, did they? The only thing I could find about it is that they could not find any evidence of other, other people. Maybe it's just like that was a fetish and he was trying to sound sound cooler yeah because he was drunk and then he was like spilling it all anyway and like oh my god and he wanted to feel cooler than jeffrey (sighs) Dahmer and john wayne gacy i just go ahead no i was just gonna say um the day that she was taken there was another girl that had an encounter with him she was approached by him in his car he was wearing, she said, like a, it was like a silver star with like a leather background, kind of like he was a cop. Oh no. Oh, and he no. said that he was an undercover cop and he needed help That's with something horrifying. or whatever. Invited her into the car and she said no and she reported it. And later she was shown like a photo lineup and she picked him out like it was him. So she uh, dodged a fucking bullet. That's horrifying. It's I cannot imagine how she feels. Can you imagine, like, the survivor's guilt, too? What I can't imagine is the fact that if she would have made that bus to get to her new apartment or whatever. If she just crossed the street. If she just crossed the street and made the bus, she would be alive. Yep. 
but he would also mm-hmm. still be out there. Yeah, that's true. Um, not that I want her to be the sacrifice, but I'm just saying. <sighs> terrible, terrible. He drove 200 miles only around the campus that day. Just searching for just somebody. Just searching. To pick up. So he was going to do what he wanted to do no matter what. Oh my god. That's I can't even I can't even think about that. Like Have you heard about that cop who was on like FetLife and stuff and he was writing all these like stories about how he wanted to be a cannibal? Mm-mm. It's like the cannibal no. cop story. No. Yeah, he was like writing all these stories about how he wanted to kill his wife and like eat her and she ended up finding it on his computer. Oh my god. And like left him immediately and like he ended up being arrested and all this stuff but it turns out it was just his like fantasy or whatever and he hadn't ever done anything but it's like where do you draw the line from fetish to taking action which is like exactly the same story yeah right disgusting it's like that army hammer do you remember that Mm -mm. he like had said that he wanted to eat somebody (laughs) and it was apparently just like a fetish or whatever oh was that on sword and scale or something no it was actually something recently that it was he's a celebrity he's like an actor or something Mm -mm. but anyway it's like how do you if you have like fetishes like that like how like that could borderline not borderline but could be fucking dangerous as shit to other people yeah how the fuck? I, I, I don't know. How I can't that. even. <laughs> I don't know. I can't even process. I don't know. I don't know. Oh my god. Well, guys, we did. We did two. We did <laughs> number two. We did it. We did it. I think that was good. That was a great story. Thank you. Yours was. I don't mind the. Too. I don't mind the downers. I am fascinated by those kind of cases. I mean, it's it's not fun to tell them, but like. It's it's interesting to hear them. And yeah, so. and sometimes I think they're important too. Well, yeah, for sure. And I'm sure there's going to be many more. Ugh. Well, Ashley, where well. can they find us if they want us? <laughs> well, uh, we are on a social media rampage trying to make all of our accounts. <laughs> rampage. You can find us on Instagram at rappy... <laughs> At happy no oh my god dude. <laughs> dude it's like midnight and a half midnight 30 they can find us at rabbit hole happy hour on instagram and i'll have to get back to you with the rest <laughs> we're on twitter at rabbit hole hh pod and uh, if you want to send us any ideas for future rabbit holes, please email us at rabbitholehappyhour at gmail.com. Uh, we'll have a TikTok, I guess, eventually. Yeah, we'd like to start making some TikToks, but until then, we'll just continue enjoying the fart content. Yes. <laughs> Farts and burps and android men. So until next time... See you later, and thank you for listening to Ryan Hall. <laughs>